0: Money FM 89.3, best of weekends.
1: The United States uh, this week, uh, further separated itself from Hong Kong and decided that it will treat Hong Kong the same as it treats mainland China, according to Donald Trump, uh, removing the territory's cherished special economic status. Joining us on the line now is Steve Oaken, the senior advisor at McLarty Associates, uh, dealing a lot with businesses in Singapore and Hong Kong and across the region uh, around issues such as this. Steve, welcome to the show. And uh, no surprise this week when we saw Trump finally put his signature to that.
2: Yes, and it really is re- in reaction to what um, China has done. And if you look at the rationale for why Donald Trump uh, has put this new laws into effect, it is because that national security law that, that uh, Hong Kong passed is very powerful. Um, it goes not only against people who live in Hong Kong, it goes against potentially foreigners who can be expelled if China merely suspects them of violating the law, and it has extraterritorial application. So it could even apply to U.S. citizens lobbying the Congress in Washington, D.C., about what the U.S. government should be doing in Hong Kong. So it is in response to what China has done in terms of the national security law, and it's just a continued rising of the of the tensions and the sanctions.
0: And it's also in keeping, Steve, with what we're seeing in Australia. Uh, the UK government this week spoke out about the situation with the Huawei developments there. I mean, what, from a Chinese point of view, will it have any impact? on? Will it change their mindset? That's now UK, US, Australia. Speaking publicly about the situation there, will it have an impact at all?
2: It does not appear to have any impact so far. China has been pretty aggressive in terms of bilateral actions. You could also talk about India. You can also talk uh, about the South China Sea and positions uh, that China is taking. So you have China being much more aggressive in their foreign policy and in their bilateral relations. You have a different U.S. response, um, where it is become bilateral, uh, and, and you have different, uh, responses than you would have in a multilateral situation. So things are getting worse. And if you look at how the business community is reacting in Hong Kong. They are getting more pessimistic about the impacts of the national security law and what it means for Hong Kong, if not in the short term, then in the medium term and certainly the long term.
1: Talking with Steve Oaken, the senior advisor McClarty Associates. Steve, uh, of course, the security law is is an, another discussion that is linked to this. But just before we examine that a little bit more, when we talk about the change in status, many people argued when Trump started talking about imposing this weeks ago, that this would not do anything to Beijing, but would you know, have the effect of, of hurting Hong Kong much more, a valued trading partner, a valued home for services, uh, banking and, and professional services, companies that are U.S.-owned. Is that still the thinking that maybe this was a misplaced hammer or talking point that the U.S. should have reconsidered? and the damage it would do to Hong Kong versus actually not really impacting Beijing that much.
2: Well, the U S hasn't really done anything that that's doing the, that's changing the calculus for what's happening in Hong Kong. It's what China did with the national security law that you see businesses reacting to. Now you see the New York times, you know, taking their digital operations out of Hong Kong and moving them to Seoul. You see Deutsche Bank saying we are going to have a dual regional headquarters, if that's really possible, but they're saying we're going to have a dual regional headquarters with Hong Kong and Singapore, and our CEO is now going to be in Singapore, not in Hong Kong. That is not in reaction to what the United States has done. That's in reaction to what China has done. Now, if the U.S. were to really lay the hammer down and start looking at the Hong Kong's currency, and it's pegged to the U.S., which has been excluded against any measures so far and isn't even being considered from what you read in the newspapers. That would really be uh, an action the U.S. took that impacted Hong Kong. But right now, it is not the U.S. actions. It's the Chinese actions that's causing the considerations of, of businesses leaving Hong Kong right now.
0: Well, you mentioned businesses there, Steve. I mean, there are around 9,000 foreign firms in Hong Kong, around 1,300 of them are from the United States. Now, of course, Hong Kong had already slipped into recession anyway, partly because of the political unrest of the second half of 2019. Foreign direct investment into the territory fell 47% last year to around 55 billion. So people who are, are already nervous. You mentioned one or two firms there are already pulling out. Do you see that accelerating as we move forward?
2: Well, that's the question of of the day, of course. And you know, there's the the issue is I think one of we would call FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, Mm. because there is only so much capacity in Asia to become a global hub, and there are capacity constraints in in every place. So there is first mover advantage. And if you are going to go to Singapore or Seoul or Japan or wherever, Bangkok, wherever it may be, and so you might start to act faster than you would have because you're afraid that if you lose that first mover advantage, you may not be able to go or that the costs become much higher for you. So that's what's happening right now. If people in Hong Kong had their preference, it would be, let's wait and see. Let's see, what is the impact of the law? How do the Chinese enforce it? What happens if Biden were to win? Were the U.S. going to have a different position on the use of sanctions? They'd love to have that opportunity to take the time to see how it all plays out. The question is, will they have that opportunity or are they going to be forced to move faster than they want because they would lose that first mover advantage and may not be able to move to their preference if it came to that?
1: We're talking with Steve Oaken And Steve, you know, for a year now, Businesses have been saying, "Let's take a wait and see attitude." You know, since the since the major protests started against uh, Carrie Lam's uh, regime and what was going on there in terms of uh, political freedom and speech. So, you know, at some point, what's the tipping point where people actually make a decision? I mean, obviously, we've seen the New York Times and and Deutsche Bank and, and a few others start to make some limited moves, but uh, like you say, there there has to be a moment somewhere where it's a kind of a go, no go situation, isn't it? Or is it, you know, the frog is in the pot and they're slowly turning up the heat, you know, the boiling pot.
2: Another way to ask it is, you know, when does a trickle become a flood? You, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. This might be, you have one or two companies moving and it may even just, well, we're going to have a dual headquarters. We're just going to move our CEO. But then all of a sudden other people start doing that. And then all of a sudden that wait and see and being, you know, to, to mix, <laughs> you don't want to be the frog in the boiling, in the boiling pot. So sure. you make it decision. Faster than you would have otherwise. That's where we're really in this very interesting dynamic. You know, Karen Joseph, our friend who we've you know been on with together, was the the president of AmCham in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Has said right now, Hong Kong seems to be stuck in a cold war between the U.S. and Beijing. I haven't seen that rhetoric yet, but if people in Hong Kong are feeling that this is a Cold War. Yeah. You don't want to be in, you know, Berlin in the middle of a Cold War. You you leave. And so if that is truly the sentiment in Hong Kong, then I am much more pessimistic than I, than I was before I read, read her statement in the newspaper.
0: And it's interesting you make the point, Steve, about Cold War because the simple analysis would be, ah, it's fantastic, all of these companies will just come flocking to Singapore and Singapore will welcome all of them with open arms. But it's not as simple as that, is it, for several reasons. One, we have to balance our own delicate socio economic framework here in terms of how many employment passes we allow into the country, how many companies we allowed to set up here. We've got our own delicate balancing act here post election, and that's the first thing. And the second thing, of course, is Singapore has to maintain a working relationship with China. So it's not a straightforward situation, is it?
2: It isn't. And now, at a third, a third point is that look, Hong Kong it really is a global city, a and it's not just where do I put. You know, my bank, and where do I want my bank's headquarters to be? Because it's, it's about an ecosystem. It's about the financial services firms. So it's about the banks, but it's about the law firms. It's about the accounting firms. It's about the due diligence firms. It's about having the conferences. It's about being able to network. And all of that is in Hong Kong right now. It's like where everybody said, Well, I'm just going to, you know, make the analogy, I'm going to pick up my manufacturing out of China um, and move it elsewhere because of the U.S. China trade and technology war, except. China's very good at being a manufacturing hub. It has all the suppliers. It has all the infrastructure. It has all the workers. And you just can't replace, you know, that ecosystem in Vietnam all overnight. You can move some of it, but you can't move all of it. And the same thing is going to happen here. So it's not just how do we attract a bank um, if you're Tokyo or Seoul or Singapore. It's how do we attract all of that? Do you have the space to attract all of that? Do you have the, you know, number of, employees to attract all of that? Is the human capital here? Uh, And so it isn't going to happen overnight, but it may happen a lot faster than people think, depending on the implementation of the law and uh, U.S. and global reaction to it.
1: Is there a, a, a surprise winner that might come out of this in Southeast Asia? For example, would people start, you know, again, looking at Seoul as a As a base that would work or is KL a possibility or who is maybe the sort of dark horse that might end up doing well out of this if there is more concern by the companies who are based in Hong Kong and they decide they want to offshore some or all of their uh, offices?
2: Well, I think that look, you have two questions to ask. The first is, do you need to be in a hub? Does your regional office need to be in that ecosystem that exists? If it does, then you're, you know, and I'm reading reading out of the AmCham Hong Kong survey, you know, some of the quotes are Singapore will likely become our new regional HQ. Another quote is consider moving most likely to Singapore, Tokyo, or Taipei. So it depends on if you need that regional connectivity. But if you don't, and you're talking about digital operations, which kind of occur anywhere, You'll see other cities like Seoul or Bangkok or KL even coming up. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of winners if you do get that migration out of Hong Kong. It's not going to be all to one place. So um, there is going to be a disbursement and it's going to be um, a, a lot of uh, countries will be thinking about how do we attract what we can attract out of out of Hong Kong if they're leaving anyway. But balancing Neil's point, you also have to keep your bilateral relations with China too. And so how aggressive can you be and how public can you be uh, is going to have a geopolitical impact not just a financial
0: uh, and and economic incentive impact. And just finally from me, Steve, I'm interested in the immediate short-term effects of COVID-19. I mean, we're talking about the longer-term issues, but yesterday Hong Kong expressed real concerns about the the latest wave of cases. These are serious numbers for Hong Kong, 350 in less than two weeks. More importantly, one-third of the infections are of unknown origins. And on the same day... The Singapore government announced that people transiting from Hong Kong will now have to stay in a dedicated facility for two weeks rather than in their own homes. So in the short term, what impact will COVID-19 have on these political developments?
2: Well, it it could certainly delay anybody's making a decision because if you can't come to Singapore from Hong Kong or you can't go to Seoul or wherever it may be, how are you going to explore setting up a regional hub? And the whole point of having a regional hub is being able to travel. And if most of Asia remains locked down, which everybody anticipates it being you know more or less throughout the end of the year then the need to move is and the ability to move is is less likely so this could play to hong kong's advantage because maybe it won't be as bad as some people think and maybe wait and see your decision will be well, let's wait and then that trickle never happens to become a flood right so so the the inability to travel the inability to um, have a regional office where you're flying all over the country, if you're flying all over all over Asia and the world, plays into the wait and see strategy, which most businesses want to have right now. They may not be able to have the luxury of having it, but that's what they want. to.
1: So many factors at play. Steve Oken, thanks so much for joining us today on Weekend Mornings. Always great talking to both of you.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM893.sg